Uh, maybe I start first. Dexter, hi everyone. Uh, yeah, hi Topsy. Just share some thoughts because uh, in the past week, we were, or rather, we were inundated by two very important news article. One was Elon Musk takeover of Twitter, and and I was um, and also the week before MIT. Technology Review uh, released its final article on AI colonialism. Uh, colonialism, okay. It's a it's a series of articles that's um, that's uh, you know explore how data is being used in the same way as you know in the past the land and resources were taken away from. Uh, you know, uh, by by colonial masters, so so as as to speaking, as as to speak, and you know, and uh, take advantage and kind of sell it back to the to the owners of the land. So I I, I thought these two articles were quite interesting, you know, because um, yeah, let me start by sharing my my thoughts on uh, starting with Twitter, because I think for you, you you all we all know that in the media, Elon Musk is buying over he has not completed the purchase by the way it probably takes some time before the <clears throat> the purchase uh, goes through obviously for for the four million a billion dollar decision it's not done overnight right as early as january of this year january 21st just to give you a simple timeline um elon musk started to buy very quietly twitter shares on january the 21st and by march 14 he was you know, buying uh, bit by bit public shares. And by March 14, he accumulated over 5% stake in the whole company, right? Um, well, he was supposed to report this, but he did not, okay? And um, he continued to to uh, purchase that, um, what you call that, the public stocks, continued to amass his, his, um, his uh, what he called his stake in the company. And in March 24, uh, March of this year, he started uh, criticizing Twitter, right? So, but his state was still secret. Nobody knew about this. He was, he was supposed to disclose, but he didn't disclose it. He kept it very, very private um, in breach of uh, SEC law. And um, and he continued to criticize, you know, and he wants to do real free speech and all that, right? So, but at the back, he was buying, buying, buying stocks. And he ended up buying a huge uh, amount of stock. Okay, if I'm not mistaken, it came out to about nine percent, um, and he became the single biggest shareholder of uh, of Twitter. Right. Um, then he had no. Uh, then he he made the effort to become an active investor in April. Um, so he began to engage with the with the board. Right. Okay, and and behind the scenes, he has no choice because the way Twitter was set up is that there's no single biggest founder shareholder. All the employees own shares, but they are not a single shareholder. So this person, Elon Musk, um, a very rich man, probably if I'm not mistaken, the richest man right now, okay, uh, by valuation, suddenly own a very very powerful uh, social media platform. Okay, and with the forty-four billion dollar stake um, uh, to, to to purchase the the company, the board have agreed to to sell, and it is now in the process of uh, taking the company private. What does this mean? This means that he, being the biggest shareholder, he now has full say and control over the company. How he defines free speech how he wants to redesign the algorithms to whose advantage is now up to a single person. So this is uh, interesting and also very alarming for me. And I think for many um, social activists, right? Because you, we have seen over the last couple of months with Elon Musk and Twitter is concerned, you have seen the whole process of how a rich, huge tech entrepreneur 
became bigger and buying into not a software, not an application, but buying into social media space. What, he has, what has happened is he has bought into platforms that can, that can create, can alter, and even generate narratives. Right, and who will be the advance? Who will be the overall winner of this? Okay, we can all speculate. Says Elon Musk will be the winner because he can now decide on this. As much he says he wants to take the company private, want to make the algorithm open source, you know. But this is still questions. We're not sure, right? But the fact is, he has over the past couple of months and uh, accumulating to this event. We have seen how powerful um, social media and tech uh, tech giants owners can be. So that's number one. Even President Biden responded with concern, right? That this is this is pretty alarming because right now you you just you know you 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 have a you have the power to change people's narrative and how you write algorithms, how you you able to influence more and more people. So that's. That's number one. How is this related to, to AI colonialism? Is that we have seen how this entire uh, power play turn out uh, based on what we've seen from Elon Musk taking over of Twitter. And AI colonialism is pretty much in that space where who owns the platform owns the data. Who owns the data? They are able to benefit, monetize, and continue to uh, to be above everyone else. They say, "Now I have all the data, and I can, I can now sell it. I can do whatever I want with it with that data." And in when we talk about uh, colonialism, we are talking about you know in the past how. Uh, uh, land extraction resources exploitation was done in a very violent way for example slavery taming of land even things like uh, how multinational corporations you know take seeds from from india for example and from seeds they generate gmo and make tons of money but very little effort very little resource and benefit goes back to the place where the seed is originated so that kind of colonialism, that kind of extraction of resources for the benefit of the powerful is now reflected in data. You know, for example, how, um, what do you call this, um, uh, you know, language, for example, you know, in, the, in the last article, uh, language was, uh, was an example, how the tr old traditional languages of the Pacific Maori people in New Zealand, for example, you know, it can be taken out and then turn into language programs and sell back to people to learn, right? So this is, this is if this is not colonialism, I, I don't know what it is called. So what's the difference between these two? Uh, or what's the similarity between the Elon Musk and colonialism? Basically, it, the, the, the power and, and control okay, over the data, over the digital space can fall to people who have a lot of money, people in control. So, so the, the balance of power is tipping, right? The reason I want to share this and kind of bring this out is to, to have us think about uh, how do we engage, how do we socially engage in a space like this, right? And how do we make people aware that this is happening? You know, in 200 years ago, the, the, the capture of land was very violent. We know we can feel it. You know, there were murders, there were killing. You know, it was very blatant. It was very physical. But this whole extraction of data, our data, what we own, right, is taken out and monetized back to sell back to us, right? And so, and we don't even know it. We're not even aware of this. So this is a, it's a very, very big difference. So just to <clears throat> just to kind of set the tone, I just want to share these two points. Uh, the whole Elon Musk over Twitter. I'm not going to criticize and comment about what he's going to do, but I'm talking about the manner and the whole structure how this thing happened. 
Okay, and there's no one can do anything about it. Even the employees or the rest of the shareholders, they can't do anything about this whole takeover, right? So this is the this is the challenge here. So for social activists like us in this room, what do we do? How do we how do we respond to this? Okay, do we understand this enough that uh, that that this is affecting our lives and that we need to we need to find ways to intervene and respond? So, yeah, I'm kind of starting off by sh sharing this, uh, sharing sharing my, my views views with you and kind of open up to discussion. If you see if you see it this way, or um, how do we rest? How do we you know kind of wrap our heads around all this? So, so that's my kind of opening, you know, kind of introduction. Yeah, I hope it, I hope it makes sense to you. I kind of open the discussion. Thank you, Dexter. Back to you, or anyone else. Yeah. Where is? Yeah. The... Thanks, Vidya. <laughs> that was that was a great introduction, and yeah, I mean, a lot of interesting threads came up immediately uh, for me. But I, I also want to encourage any of the people in our audience, if you have any thoughts on what Vidya said, raise your hand. And uh, yeah, we can call on you. Um, but you know, the, the thing you said about uh, someone like <laughs> like President Biden, you know, being alarmed at at this type of this use of um, yeah, this use of power, like um, Elon Musk's financial power. Um, there's there's almost some irony in there because the previous tre president used Twitter so much as a as a means of his own. Like, yeah, as like a bullhorn, um, which I, and obviously he's not on the, not on the platform anymore, and he might be one of the first people that Trump reins or uh, Musk reinstates. It's like a lot of people talking about that, but it's interesting how, you know, I've been reading articles that talk about Twitter as like the public square, um, or like the commons where people gather to yeah share their ideas in a kind of democratic process. Um, but I think one of the definitions of a commons would be that nobody can own it, uh, which is evidently not true anymore, um, or potentially not true anymore. Uh, and so it, it does feel like a kind of a warping of what might might be seen as a democratic tool. But there's also the the fact that Twitter is only, I think, really relevant to the United States, or at least it, in what I've been reading. It's like most of the users are in the United States. Most of them are like journalists or politicians, people of influence, so to speak. Um, so I'm also wondering what the like large scale impacts of this type of acquisition would have on like more of this global marketplace of of ideas, or not not, e not even a marketplace, just like our ability to communicate freely. Yeah, um, those are some of the things that first came up came up for me. Yeah. I mean, just to jump back in on the Biden thing, uh, Biden's response, there, there are a couple of ways of looking at it, right? And I, I read somewhere, somewhere else, and there's this discussion that's going on um, right now that uh, tech companies, right, uh, large, uh, very profitable tech companies are becoming um geopolitical players right if i recall there's a political analyst called ian bremer from an organization organization called g0 media he talks a lot about how the tech uh the big tech companies are starting to position themselves to be to be um a geopolitical actor and it is becoming very true right so I, I think if you look at it from a very macro perspective and you see this situation, you can see power play happening because pol politics and uh, you know uh, politicians depend on on their supporters and there's a certain reason they support you know, there's a certain message that they, that resonate with their with the with the supporters that's why they support them so they continue to echo this message and those messages are being being distributed by uh, by the by the media whether it's the print media social media whatever media now we know that the digital media the social media has become a very powerful part of it 
And recently in Biden's um, the, the press uh, dinner event, he has reinstated the power of traditional media having to need, needing to play a role to in a way counter the the narrative of the social media platform. So I, I think there are a lot of dynamics in happening and, and in play right now. Um, the other part is that, uh, does it happen only in the United States? No, I think this whole tech uh, giant uh, tech companies also play out in Asia, right? They may be uh, American-based companies like Facebook that have influenced certain countries, Twitter have influenced certain countries, uh, Instagram may be favored in other countries or Line, for example. So, so it is, you know, in one way or another, these media platforms have become a center for, for the uh, amplification of certain certain narratives, right? So, and by doing that, the owners of these platforms become very rich. And they continue to do so. While they do that, they harness all the data, they harness all your discussions, they know what you're talking about, and so on. And and it's it's easy to change the narrative. Yeah. So that's 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 my view, and, and I think we need to be aware of that, um, that that this happening and uh, understand it in more detail. I, I I don't claim to understand it a lot, but I can see trends that happening, uh, happening today, right. And this is worrying. Back to yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely worrying. Um, and I guess, I mean, I, I must confess that I'm, I'm not a Twitter user. Um, I'm, I'm, I was thinking of actually, yeah, getting into it a little more to explore what that, what that space is like in terms of its own, yeah, ecosystem of the conversation. But, um, this is a, it's a really good point about the, like, the connection with colonialism is, I think, quite, quite explicit in that the, like, yeah, the richest man in the world is not going to be basically the, the sole owner or, or might be of a huge mountain of data that can keep being mined for, for value that we're unaware of yet. And for me, that, that seems to be, that's really the sticking point that keeps coming back is uh, when it comes to this newer form of value that comes out of the data that we generate in our interactions that are recorded online, many of us, I mean, myself included, don't, we, we don't really grok what, the, what that value is. We don't, we don't understand it uh, in terms of like money because it isn't, it isn't money. It's not that we're giving a platform like Facebook 10 cents every time we like or spend 15 minutes scrolling through uh, the feed. It's more that we are creating a, like a level, our attention is being monetized um, and we're then kind of alienated from <laughs> the fruits of that. Like the one of the examples that I read in an article was how um, when the like Spanish conquistadors would, when they rode into indigenous villages in Mexico and Latin America or what, yeah, what became Latin America um, and South America. Uh, they would ride in on their horses and then read out some proclamation in Spanish to the natives who they knew didn't understand Spanish. And the, the proclamation would say something like, we're going to take all of, your, all of your money, all of your jewelry, we're going to sell your people into slavery or, or whatever it was. They, they would explicitly state what they were going to do, but nobody could understand it. Um, and so they would all agree. They'd say, yeah, they have, they'd have a party that night. And then the next day they would start pillaging and they'd be confused. Like, why are you doing this? Well, we, we told you <laughs> what we were going to do in, in a language that you didn't understand. And I think that that, that same thing is happening when we sign up for, uh, terms and terms and conditions on websites, when we allow cookies and things like that, like we don't quite understand, uh, why is a cookie sweet <laughs> like online? Why do, why do apps want to track us around like yeah we, we I, I don't think we quite understand that it's speaking a language that we don't that we're not really aware of and uh the end result is that we 
yeah, we feel kind of fine. Like I'm not, I'm not being, I don't know, exploited or anything, but then you see how much money these tech giants have and you kind of wonder how, how is this happening? And then with that money comes all of the political power and even geopolitical power in that, uh, yeah, with things happening like in Russia, Facebook can shut down access to their services for businesses that rely solely on Facebook services to operate in Russia. If the American company of Facebook decides that Russia's a non-starter, suddenly that's a that's a form of almost military action that they're taking against the the Russian society itself. They're attacking like the people and their livelihoods because they're removing a platform that they use. So there's, there's all this power embedded in the systems that we use and all the data that we generate on it. And it, yeah. So I guess the question is what, uh, what to do? Like, I, I, I'm not very interested in the, like kind of staring down the, staring down the barrel of it. Like, Oh, this is, this is just the world that we live in now. And we have to, you know, kind of live with it if we want to have, have nice things like interesting platforms where we can connect. No, there needs to be a more constructive approach. Um, and I think that that probably is moving more in the way of decentralization than centralization. And this, this Musk acquisition is, yeah, like the epitome of centralization, <laughs> all, all of it going to one person. Um, yeah, those are just a couple of my ideas, though. I'm curious to know what, what other people are thinking about this. Um, yeah, anyone in the in the audience. Yeah, I'll leave it there. You know, it's, um, I think, well, I, I think there's, it's not just doom and gloom, there are opportunities. If we see trends, you know, um, just look at Facebook trend, for example. Okay. Um, Facebook has been losing what we call this has been losing uh, users. I'm trying to recall what the user is, and they have, um, due to bad publicity and due to the criticism of how they manage data. So, I mean, this is the this is the plus point of what's happening. So people, some people, have become aware, and and the, the demographics of Facebook what's happening is that a lot of them are the younger people are moving out because. They have taught their parents how to use Facebook and they got out of Facebook because they don't want the parents to be, you know, in there. And they tend to be very private now. Um, yeah, we, we see them all posting on TikTok and all that, but there, there is a general move towards those short videos and all that. But there's also a general move away from, from, uh, from such platforms. Uh. So, and uh, the active users in, in Facebook has actually been on the decline. Uh, let me try to figure out the numbers, uh, you know, online. And if you look at the the, the revenue and their and the business, uh, so the their net income have dropped almost twenty one percent from last year, uh, year on year. Last year, um, uh, net profit margin dropped twenty six percent, and they are not they are not the Mark Zuckerberg Meta is not the poster boy of social media anymore, because of the way he's handling data and he has also admitted that there are challenges in managing the data yet at the same time he's not transparent enough to to share that so people are leaving people are questioning and there seems to be some impact to the to the company so that's that's why they made a lot of changes like you know renaming their company and you know changing strategy and so on but it has not fully addressed um, addressed it so lesson here is that um, if the trust is lost, if people continue to push this agenda that, hey, you need to take care of our data, we, we have to be careful what we're saying, you know, we cannot give away data. And, uh, and the companies who are entrusted to, 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 to kind of be this platform for, for communication is, uh, is misusing our data and so on, then we'll pull out. So this is what we have started to see, right? In where, where Facebook is concerned, right? And I, I think, all this will also, 
impact in the in the future if the if uh, platforms like Twitter are not careful, they will also come out and they look for alternative sites, alternative tools to 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 communicate. Right? But it will not be as as uh, widespread. It won't amplify negativity as much. For example, the lockdown young people are moving away from public social media and they're going into private spaces like uh, you know, like like Discord, for example, and it's an application and they're very, very private. Right? If you have to like be a member to, to join your, your discussion and who and the administrator decides who can who can discuss, you know, and, and it becomes like a mini social media platform, but it's very, very controlled. So that's one trend, and it's the Discord is so powerful that um, I think last year, year before, Microsoft make a bid. Uh, if I recall the numbers, thirty billion dollars something like that to buy over Discord. Um, it's a private company, and the Discord refused to sell at that time. So, so I think these are also interesting trends. There's a greater awareness, and we are also seeing, uh, at least from the European side, uh, increase regulatory frameworks to overcome you know this whole abuse of algorithms for profit right the uh, there's a huge movement on um, ethical ai for example the gdpr is constantly being reviewed and um, i know there are uh, other laws uh, being considered and put into place so i think there are positive signs towards that so how how effective they will be in the long run, we don't know. Okay, so the digital systems are known to circumvent uh, regulatory uh, frameworks. You know, it's a it's a kind of cat and mouse games. They always you know try to be ahead of the regulations, and the regulations try to be ahead of the of the companies. So so there's this cat and mouse games happening, but it's those are good signs. There are. Um, you know, uh, efforts to kind of regulate this, right? So, so I I think that there are positive positive uh, uh, signs, lah. You know, so those are my views. I I want to open up and see if anyone have different ideas. Uh, you know, how how they view this whole uh, situation. You know, of the tech companies taking control of your data, abusing them, and so on. Okay, uh, I actually agree that people actually move away from the platform that they think kind of like control their data and privacy. Like a lot of people move away from Facebook and actually go for Twitter because they can actually tweet almost anything without uh, censor. But anyway, like my, the other thought would be like it also depends on the country as well the like in the end it's 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 the government policy on the freedom of speech and stuff like that and they can actually ban uh the platform just totally look like in china so nothing actually gets in and um this can can actually divide our world yeah, like one, one is kind of like a lot of information, a lot of things happening. The other part would be like none of them. And uh, a lot of people in Thailand are actually using Twitter. I'm not there yet because I think it would be overwhelming. And um, But many things are happening there really. I, I, I mean like it can be a future for a while. Your new platform is coming up and uh, we don't know yet if the government would be able to kind of like catch up with it or following it up and kind of like try to regulate it or actually let it free yeah like like in thailand grab for instance it's illegal i would say like the private car becoming like commercial use and the government is just not doing anything about it so this platform is still operating and I mean, people utilize it because they have benefits on it. And I mean, as long as it serves the purpose of the user, people are still using it, I guess. And then when the function, 
maybe it's it's it doesn't fit the people needs anymore it would just go to something else yeah that's my thought that's such an interesting point about grab i didn't i didn't know that it was uh yeah like maybe technically illegal in thailand to use a private car as like a, a taxi service and and that's a, such a good larger point as well about um uh, what is it like kind of governments maybe purposely slowing down their regulatory process to allow for new economies to develop inside yeah in inside of that that time span because i mean it seems like grab generates a lot of a lot of income and and like and yeah it generates it stimulates an economy um that is good for the country as a whole i guess um so I wonder if maybe you have any insight into that, Vidya, more about this cat and mouse game and how maybe the maybe the cat is intentionally being a little bit slow because the it, the the mouse is like driving innovation and might bring new businesses to certain countries that are trying to be emerging markets and so how yeah like evidently the current economic system and model really supports the development of these types of technologies and they're and they're flourishing like there's many of them they make lots and lots of money and yeah regulation seems to be pretty far behind almost in every case um so yeah i wonder if that says something about the the underlying ethics of the regulatory process itself <laughs> or or what yeah i'm curious if you have any ideas on that Um, I, okay, I have a few points here, but let me talk about Grab first. I, I think, to be fair to governments, uh, each regulation that is put together, uh, the assumptions they have gone through some, some thought process and a regulation is put there for a purpose. In the case of Grab, you know, Topsy, you are right, because you cannot allow a private car to be a, to be a taxi. For one reason, the regulation, I would assume in Thailand is the same, right? The one for one main reason, there is insurance. And um, if you have many cars, private cars going around, picking passengers, collecting money, uh, profiting from it, and what do you call that? Um, um, then you're putting lives of passengers at risk. So therefore, it has to be stopped. Uh, you can't do that. That's why it's illegal, right? So in some countries, like in Malaysia, for example, the regulation was changed to level the playing field. So if, so if you want to be a grab driver and you want to be, a, you know, we are promoting the gig economy and so on, you, you want to use your car and make money out of it. Yeah, then you have to, uh, we have to balance, the government will balance the, the, the playing field. So, okay, you need to get extra license make sure you have extra insurance and you have to prove all that, then you are allowed to be a Grab driver. So then it's fair. Then the, 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 the situation becomes more, more equitable for taxi drivers. So taxi drivers can become Grab drivers and private companies, the private cars can become Grab cars. So the, the, the line is blurred. Now, in the case of uh, Grab cars, the regulation is quite straightforward because there is a case in the past which is taxis. Taxis are set up for a particular purpose, right? And certain way of monitoring, safety, and, and so on. But it's not so easy when we look at social media platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Line, even for example. It gets more tricky because there's no there's no previous model, right? Grab tries to um what do you call that? Um uh, change an existing model of the taxi to liberate it. So there is a model that they follow. Uh, in social media, there are, there are no models. The only model is newspaper, you know, and, and uh, uh, coffee shop discussions. You go to a coffee shop, you, you get together, you drink coffee, and you talk about politics, you know, and, and, and the news spread. So there's no model and there's no previously um, 
a previous model that can be more that can be uh, copied in terms of regulation. So it becomes more challenging. That's why it's a cat and mouse game. And, and regulators really need to be ahead of the game to understand the power of this whole uh, data, digital platforms, and all, even learning platforms for all that matter. Right? So, so government needs to be ahead of the game. And government has always been behind the game. They've never been ahead of the game. That's the, that's the, that's the biggest problem today. I'm interested in, because in terms of this, if it's always going to be a kind of, uh, yeah, it's, there's always going to be some one or some party ahead, and there's another one needs to catch up. I wonder what the role of the public is in in supporting that type, or yeah, making it known that they want that type of regulation. Because, I mean, I'm sure there are, there are campaigns to, yeah, improve elements of different platforms and even, yeah, the safety of, of platforms. Uh, like grab, like if someone isn't, doesn't have the right insurance. Um, I'm sure there are movements and like, you know, even like the, the taxi unions, for instance, would want to, uh, yeah, get rid of this new competition. Like I know in London, um, Uber, Uber became illegal for, Ooh, a while. I'm not sure exactly sure how long, but that was because it was driving out all the business from the black, the black cabs, uh, which are kind of considerably more expensive than an Uber. Um, I think, I mean, Uber still operates, yeah, daily <laughs> in in London, and so do black cabs. But uh, so I'm not entirely sure how that, like, kind of. Uh, how that issue was sorted out, but I have a feeling that it was, well, if anyone can become an Uber, then also a black cab can become an Uber. But it, it, it seems like I'm, I'm just curious that, do you think the public really cares about the regulation? Because it seems to be that the more, the easier that life gets with a new app to do something or, or a super app that can do everything, um, the less people are, concerned they're just more happy to kind of veg out and like just use the services uh as as an extension of of what they already do without a lot of critical engagement um and, and so i wonder if what can be done in terms of uh like public service announcement or um awareness campaign that that you think might, might actually be effective in bringing maybe more of this type of critical thinking to the, yeah, to, to more people. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm just worried that the, if the ultimate driving force is going to be how profitable something. Whoops, I think we lost Dexter. Yeah, and Doreen. <laughs> and Doreen. Ooh, and Prashan. <laughs> Oh, they finally decided this is not an interesting discussion. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's a system. I mean, like, maybe they are hearing us. <laughs> but a bit more yeah, But anyway, like, like I, I still see that like, you can't actually colonize the whole, how do you call it, like, the online users. Because they are so different kind of online user, you, maybe you get the majority of the people in the world using your app, but once it doesn't serve the purpose of their life or their enjoyment anymore, it will move. Like remember, we had High Five long time mm. ago, and we and we had like ICQ, which is like how long ago, like twenty years ago, and when it doesn't serve the purpose and when the tech company doesn't actually have innovation, like new innovation, this, this thing will die out. Uh, and I find smaller scale innovator, maybe they are more creative because they want to be independent. Maybe they don't want to work for a big company and maybe they have better idea of how to tap in like attention of people and 
I, I still see the future not going down uh, the drain. Yeah, I still see like younger generation, they want mm -hmm. to be independent, they don't want control, and they are very innovative. Yeah, there, there wouldn't be a control by big company that yeah. long, mm -hmm. that long. Yeah, it can be a certain period of time, but it's not going to be like forever. Yeah, I did, I'm, in that sense, I'm quite hopeful and positive about this. Uh, it's a natural progression, you know, um, that uh, I like what a lot of the young people are doing. Um, young means really young ones, you know, <laughs> talking about 18, 19, 16, 17 year olds, right? They, they, they decide on the platforms they want. Um, they they use they start to think of uh, more disruptive technologies like um, like blockchain you know to be decentralized so there's a lot more of that but it's still a very small minority in in the the challenge today is it's also an economic challenge just want to extend on what Dexter was talking before um, he cut off got 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 turned out the internet <laughs> you know. The, the the why does the grab model works even though they know it's not safe it's illegal because economics because of economics grab addresses the 70 percent of the middle lower income who don't want to pay too much more for taxis and the the regular regulated ones because the regulated ones incur a lot of costs paying for licenses playing paying for you know inspections you know and and have to have to service their cars, their vehicle every six months or whatever. It, it's, it's cost, and that cost is passed on to the consumers. When somebody comes up with a different alternative, it's it's a it's a great idea. And I'm sure that even before Grab in in, in Thailand or in many parts of Asia, we have this. Uh, I, I, each each country have their own um, own term for this is uh, for illegal taxis. I'm sure everybody, every small town, way before Grab, were doing this. Right? Because it's a viable, economically uh, viable alternative, right? And they are ready anywhere. They just come by and stop and they wave the hand with you. Do you want to live to the to the app, uh, to the bus station? It will cost you so much. Come on, you know. So no safety, no insurance, but it's cheaper, it's easier, more convenient, right? So that's the one of the economic models we need to address. They know that it's, it's, it's not safe and so on, but, you know, I think economics do play a very important role, uh, and it boils back to this. This boils back to very uh, fundamental areas of um, this uh, in inequality, in the unequal distribution of wealth, and and that's that's propelling companies like Grab to be very successful because they give an alternative, right? So regulators need to really think and um, allow this to to happen in a much safer environment right but on on the level of data is something else right i'm, I'm not surprised if companies like grab and uber is collecting uh, your demographics your age you know your personal data linked to where you go you know um and have your entire movement mapped out and and they can they can probably tell you where you are going to go before you plan on going right and that's pretty scary right so that's your information that's your data and they extrapolate that information about you and sell it back to you ahead of time so that in a way is colonizing I and mean, they are colonizing you they're taking something from you and selling back to you right they're extracting information from you where you give willingly or unwillingly or unknown or unknown they are sharing out that data so so that's a very small way how people are, how this whole tech environment is profiting from, from all the data that's available. Right. So we need to also really think about, uh, about this, right? Unless there's a truly open platform where no one really in control, you know, then, then I, I, I think it's, it's, it's viable, right? Uh, Elon Musk said that he will make it open, free speech, you know, you know, these are all headlines, you know, so if you, if you, if he talks about headlines and don't give you details, you have to be very careful what he really means.
I'm skeptical personally. Well, one of the ironic things about Twitter is that it's all about headlines. You've only got like 250 characters or something. You can't get into any details there. It's all it's all really about like that kind of sensationalizing information to get people to retweet it. Um, yeah, it's, and I, I mean, I've read a couple things about when me, when Elon Musk says, uh, you know, things like freedom of speech. What what does he actually mean by that? Um, and and it is the freedom of speech on Twitter. Like, for instance, he, he said that, you know, he wanted to make Twitter as free as possible in terms of speech in alignment with the First Amendment of the United States. Um, but you can do some pretty, you can say really dreadful things um, in alignment with the First Amendment. It's your right to say whatever you like. Um, and... A lot of the things that could be said in terms of, yeah, everything from racism to inciting violence to, yeah, whatever you want. It would be perfectly legal, but would be uh, ooh, rather disturbing to be a part of if that was part of your, if you were seeing all that stuff all the time, which is part of the reason why Facebook has, like, in fact, every social media platform has its own standards for the content that are on it, which may not necessarily align with local laws, they may actually be a lot more stringent because there's vulnerable people on those platforms that may see something that could be yeah, quite damaging to them or to their community or, or others in, in ways that you can't um, predict. So wh when he talks about freedom of speech, it's a little bit of uh, it, it brings up a, an interesting topic um, because, you know, when we talk about when we talk about freedom, how free do we really want or need to be um, in terms of what is expressed in a public space? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm curious if you have any ideas on that. Uh, and, then, and then also just a one tiny point on extracting data. I, I'm sure that within maybe 10 years, uh, when we have more of these kind of wearable pieces of technology that might make augmented reality pretty much standard for anybody who wears glasses um, on your ride from the from your house to like for instance to play uh, ultimate frisbee <laughs> if you do that every weekend grab knows what you're doing it knows how long you'll spend there um, do you think you'll start seeing billboards like change for oh look buy these new cleats or check out this you, you can go to this event or like, like things like like you have these hyper tailored advertisements where you know four people can be looking at the same billboard and see completely different things um i think that that's right around the corner and especially with the kind of data mining that uh or not even mining it's just like collecting it's like a new form of phishing almost um that these super apps have um that's a huge resource that i think they're stockpiling and then in the future we'll be able to use in entirely new ways well beyond the scope of um, the activities that you're doing on that app application and using it for so that's really interesting as well in terms of like just yeah casting a wide net for the future but i'm curious about maybe you guys think about this question of freedom of speech and what what that might mean if Musk really makes it, quote, really free. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I, I also see the potential of like these big tech company collaborating with each other and also with the non-tech companies. Once they have information of you, like what kind of things you buy, what kind of things you like, they might kind of like, for instance, like in Thailand, they might contact Chalun Pokapan, which is CP, who owns almost every everything in daily life, 7-Eleven, Macro, all this stuff, and in, into kind of like the technology that people be using to enhance your life. And I, I can still see that like your life in the future would be more convenient, but again, like you trade it off with your personal data, and I don't think a lot of people actually mind that 
once it been used to actually benefit you and um, yeah but the, but the, the real question is that how people can be mindful about this thing people tends to buy stuff and get stressed because they don't have enough money to buy or if they want this and that but they don't they don't earn and yeah I mean that there should be a way to actually address this because it's gonna be more social problem created from from this thing that I can see. Yeah. So it's not only like one big company controlling the thing that they run in their own business. They might actually collaborate with other business that have low technology but provide some other services. Yeah, Topsy, when you first said that, the first the 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 name that came to my, my mind was Amazon. Right. Amazon not only run their own stores, they have many stores for people to run online. So they become a platform, um, a retailer for retailers, right? And the amount of data that is mining, you know, it's is is huge that they are taking from there. But if we if we rip that apart. And we, we try to disassemble this whole thing. What are we dealing with? I think we are also, we have, we are continually dealing with the issue of consumerism and the, you know, buying more than we need, you know. Um, and it's, it's something that, you know, we have been trying to understand and trying to address this because, and, and this links to whole sustainability, climate change, because we are buying this a lot of waste and so on. So I think these are all related, right? So we are tackling the issues of consumerism, you know, in a way, in a very different uh, environment. And the way we tried to tackle it 20 years ago, you know, I remember in INAP that we had this whole session, so states in the, in the conference, we, we talked about consumerism, how do we, you know, mindful consumerism and so on, uh, mindful consumption, right? right? But now this, this dimension of, of this, of uh, the digital space takes mindfulness of uh, mindful consumption to another level. We really need to think about how to message this um to the to the users and not, not just be carried away because having data that you own um data about yourself being pushed to retailers or, or media uh, retail platforms and pushing back to you to decide what you would like to buy next and make you buy it is something we really really need to you know uh think about very carefully because the more we are trapped in this, the more data is is captured, um, and and uh, and where more data is captured, they know more about you than you know about yourself. So it makes it selling, you know, very different and very aggressive, um, and is run counter to a conscious, uh, mindful consumption mindset. So I think we need to really think about how to message this. You know, I don't have all the answers, but I know we need to tackle this. Yeah. Dexter was saying about freedom of speech. Let me address that. Um, let me share my thoughts on this. Freedom of speech and the ability to think are two different things, right? You may be just speaking out of emotion, anger, and lack of the ability to think through a problem you know does not mean it's a good freedom of speech and with platforms like twitter you know like you mentioned Dexter mentioned it's all about headlines you know 160 characters you you condense all your thoughts into that essentially it's more emotion than thoughts right out of 100 people maybe 90 90 people within one box uh, very few people take the trouble to treat threats you know continue thinking and go deeper into that uh you know uh, twitter has that function but very few people use it so we really what we need to really think about and possibly how do we intervene is to look at this whole thinking process we our attention span is getting very very short you know tiktok runs 30 second movies and you know videos and that's 
that's the rage, you know, the attention is 30 seconds, right? And it's run counter to our whole uh, digital, uh, our Bodhisattva engaged Buddhism framework of concentration, mindfulness. I think we, we really have to think seriously about this. Yeah, we, we can't go against holding, but I think we need to know how to live with it, how to how not to be driven and lose our minds as it were, you know, uh, over these phenomena that are happening from the digital space. I really, yeah, I, I really resonate with, with that video. And I, I'm curious as well in terms of thinking about where where these types of where this type of thinking can lead us like you said you know that there's a real need for kind of education or capacity building so to speak around the way the the framework that we're engaging with when we consume online or when we generate data um, and, and how that actually becomes part of a, a really massive system um, that, in a sense, is extracting value out of us um, in, in exchange for more convenience or uh, something like that. So I'm, I'm curious if, if something was going to be designed or, or if you know of any initiatives like that that, yeah, are maybe able to break down the complexity of this type of thing because it is fairly it is fairly complex like the the notion of data itself and the value of it can be fairly abstract um it's only when we hear examples that are clear or we we have our own you know weird experience of seeing an ad on youtube that's exactly what you were talking about with a friend an hour ago or a day ago like that most people have now had that type of experience, but think like, oh, wow, my, my phone's listening to me. Ha <laughs> that's weird. And then move on <laughs> um, until it happens again. So it, it's more like, oh, we, we, yeah, we pretty much recognize that something is afoot or, uh, you know, the technology we're using is pretty, pretty much much more complex than we are competent of. Um, how can we raise our level of competency to match or at least begin to understand the complexity of the thing that we're using um, as a sort of like like a basic operating manual for living with this kind of technology? Um, because I think the less that people are aware of how the things work, the more likely they are to just... Um, use them however the platform wants them to be used because the, the, these platforms are designed in very specific ways they're not like they're not sandbox environments where we just kind of do our own thing they're designed to funnel and extract certain pieces of information um so we need to learn how that how that maze is set up and may, it doesn't have to we don't have to be like luddites and say you can't <laughs> you can't use these things but just be aware of the implications of it and how it um how it works do you what approaches do you think there are to that that aren't entirely overwhelming that you know don't require like you know all this in-depth information things that people can really relate to I'm, I'm curious because i think that that's a way that we can begin uh bringing more people into this type of mode of thinking and even being able to practice new means of engaging with technology, which I think is yeah, a big motivating force behind Digital Bodhisattva is to have these discussions and think about, okay, what's like an alternative structure that we could build? And that, that alternative structure might just be an internal structure, like an internal way of relating to the world, which is seems to pretty much be what, what Buddhism is about in the first place and then in the second place you engage it to build or change structures to reduce reduce the suffering so yeah i'm curious if you have any ideas like some first steps towards that um yeah or any other thoughts from anyone else please <laughs> i'm very curious to hear what other people think i i i think 
digital bodhisattva now after so many conversations and having interests from different places not just on clubhouse is through towards uh you know thinking about starting up a an active group kind of think tank if if you uh if you like the term okay and to really sit around and contextualize the challenges the social issues uh, brought forth by this whole digital revolution and contextualize it within the social spiritual engagement um and giving it meaning and giving it um what i call um giving it approaches you know i i like to use the term to find spaces for intervention where do we find the space where do we embed ourselves where the mess where the message and the and the efforts uh, you know goes to the right place and has it carries a maximum effect so um i think we are much ready now we can you know build towards setting this this uh this small group and then expand on that uh and let's take it from there right so this are this is my view and this is my suggestion and i i think in the coming conference this this need to be a topic this need to be a this need to be an item a critical item right? moving forward so there's so much information there's so much things out there we need to really you know uh be able to hold it and understand it right and uh different people have different views of this different depth of it and it's important to bring different people um together i, I don't think any spiritual religious based organization have actually done this yet how do i know yeah i think we're we're breaking new ground and doing it in a in a very intentional way but there hasn't been uh a rush and like you said finding the key finding a key point of entry is uh is precisely how how we can begin shifting something that is yeah becoming quite deeply embedded and requires some some deep reflection in order to see <laughs> see the reality uh, as it is um yeah and, and i find that really encouraging actually feels like um a place that that we can make that we can make an impact and make a a lasting one as well um i'm also conscious of the time we've been we've been here like over an hour um we typically only go for about an hour so if anyone has any any other thoughts to tack on here um go ahead otherwise we'll uh we can wrap it up pretty soon jump on in i i think i also like the side discussion the chat says happening on the sideline you know yeah so you might want to share some of that better um yeah it's a really good point about the business plan thing i was reading that as well it's quite absurd that uh you know you would use that much money uh, not have a business plan um but this is also part of the worrying element of this yeah quite a maverick taking the reins of what is essentially good, just going to be his own yeah his own his own platform or i that seems like what's moving towards um putting kind of like yeah tony stark in the seat of of twitter will be a little bit i don't know it'll be very interesting to follow and i'm also not entirely sure how well twitter will do once he uh, kind of takes over um it it'll be something very interesting to see and something that i was also reading was that this point about twitter being actually one of the smaller major social medias in terms of uh, users um and how a lot of those users are based in the United States and a lot of them have yeah kind of a political angle or a cultural one um so it it's less uh yeah it's maybe less casual than something like Facebook where you just post a picture of your dog um 
but so yeah I'm, I'm curious really curious to see how it unfolds and especially these like weird mogul dynamics of someone who yeah is definitely approaching <laughs> major business things like this with quite uh yeah in in quite a unique unique way so it'll be a good one to follow we can we can do a follow-up i'm sure <laughs> Yeah, okay, thanks, Dexter. And I mean, like the last thought, <laughs> it just popped up. Uh, I mean, at least if the server is run by like renewable energy or producing the products using cleaner technology, that would be great to see actually, because they own big tech technology that allow that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. That would be really good to see. Um, yeah, the whole the whole energy side of it is quite uh, quite interesting as well. That we all just kind of take the the resource of electricity for granted. Like all these things run on electricity, <laughs> and there's all sorts of oh yeah, major impacts that come from the generation and extraction of like uh, fossil fuels and all all that good stuff, um, which is very much embedded in. Yeah, it's it's the motivating force driving the whole thing. So it's yeah, there's a lot of complexity there, and that that's why it really does require parsing it out into kind of manageable little chunks and thinking like, oh, maybe there is an avenue in in terms of uh, the energy. Like that, that that's definitely the, a foundation block of the whole thing. So if that if that could be shifted towards a more like slightly conscious or environmentally friendly direction maybe technologies built with it might follow suit yeah that's that, that's really interesting so i think that uh yeah i'm happy to close the room here and um yeah thank you all for joining i really appreciate your time and i look forward to our next conversation which uh will be held probably hopefully next week but maybe the week after um, more details to come soon. Uh, we, Digital Buddy Software also just uh, started a Facebook page, so you can like our Facebook page. This was being streamed on that Facebook page. Um, so, yeah, you can like it. Um, that's a way of getting people to join the conversation if they don't have Clubhouse. Um, yeah, so thank you all for joining, and I hope you have a splendid rest of your evening slash day thanks okay thank you dexter bye everyone thank you dexter thank you dopsy thank you everyone